And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome back to the show this morning. Well, you know, it is Tuesday. That's technically speaking Tuesday. And after the big sell-off yesterday, what's going to happen next uh, we're going to get into that this morning, but I thought this morning, interestingly enough, so uh, we have another billionaire going into space today, right? So Jeff Bezos and his brother uh, flying out of uh, uh, Van Horn, Van Texas. Horn, Texas. Thank you. I drew a blank there for a second. Such a remote place. I can remember. <laughs> it's a garden spot. It is. But uh, anyway, launching out of uh, Van Horn, Texas today to go into space. Now, interestingly enough, look, Richard Branson did it first. Now we've got Jeff Bezos going to space. Look, this isn't really going into space, by the way, okay? This is just extremely high altitude flights. Uh, and what I mean by that is even Neil deGrasse Tyson out this uh, yesterday saying, look, going into orbit, right? Actual space is an entirely different adventure, an entirely different spacecraft. So nonetheless, though, very cool. Very cool uh, that, uh, you know, build your own build, build your own spacecraft, fly very high altitudes. Um, that was our dream when know, we were kids, exactly. right? Exactly. Well, and so apparently it was Jeff Bezos' dream too, right? <laughs> and so him and his brother are going up there, and they're taking an 18-year-old tourist with them. Now, here's the funny story about the tourist. There was an auction for that seat, and somebody paid $28 million to go into space with Jeff Bezos. Couldn't go. He had a scheduling conflict. What? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> For 28 million bucks, you couldn't move your scheduling conflict. I mean, how important is washing your cat? I mean, you could do that tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. $28 million. That'd be better be one hell of a scheduling conflict. I'm sorry, my doctor wouldn't move my colonoscopy. I mean, <laughs> $28 million, it'll wait, right? Either that. Or it's the neighborhood kid the father doesn't want his daughter to date. <laughs> Could be that, that too. Problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. Anyway, so this is what's going on today, kind of on the headline news. $28 million. My butt would be in the seat. I don't know about you. I'll just... It's a tax runoff. Maybe this is his son. And on this date in 1969. Yes. Neil Armstrong on the moon. Absolutely. And... Also, one of the inspiring moments for Jeff Bezos to <laughs> yes. go into space. Yes. Right? He wants to be Dr. Evil. <laughs> have, you, have you, I did a tweet on this, by the way. Have you looked at Dr. Evil from, from Goldmember and mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos? They're never in the same room at the same exactly. time. Exactly. All I'm saying is $1 billion. Could it be? Could it be? <laughs> I'll, okay, you'll know this goes too far if he gets a mini-me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get back to the Mar let's get back to serious stuff this morning. Markets were down yesterday, and again, we've kind of been talking about this for a while. Our sell signal was in place. Money flows were drying up. We triggered a MACD signal yesterday. So very interestingly, um, it was <laughs> Jim Cramer came out yesterday and says, this selling's not going to be over until we get all the speculators on can we just keep this in context that when you look at a chart, we're barely off the highs. I mean, we're down like two and a half percent at this point. Can we just can we just put all the media angst into a bottle for a moment? Uh, this is a much needed correction. The markets were very extended here. 
Um, they did hold support at the 50-day moving average yesterday. This is critical support. Market has consistently held this level of support going all the way back to really November of last year. Importantly, though, it doesn't mean necessarily that a, the sell-off is over now just because we bounced off of it yesterday. Very likely we're going to retest it again, maybe even break it uh, before this is over. So again, just kind of keep paying attention to what's going on here. Sell signals are still firmly in place. Don't get too excited today. This rally very likely will be short-lived. It looks like a, kind of just a, a, what they call a dead cat bounce at this point. Get a move back up towards the 20-day moving average. That may be about all we get out of this. Again, um, we'll see what happens over here in the next couple of days. But again, a little bit early. We just really kind of started this sell-off just a, a couple of days ago. So again, we've had four kind of four days of downward pressure on prices. So a bounce today, absolutely you know, not unexpected. But again, it's a little bit early to say, well, the, the sell-off's over now and we're going to be running back off to new highs. We're also moving into, again, the, the weaker part of the year, August and September, tend to be weaker months of the year. That tends to be lower rates of return. They'll pick up in volatility, of course, uh, and also potential for a bigger correction. Um, if we start to look at some of the other areas of the, of the markets as well, it's really where some of the other kind of concerns really come out uh, across the board. Um, you know, taking a look at small caps, they have really, really been underperforming and have come down sharply. Clear breaks of the 50-day moving average, uh, actually pushing back towards the test of the 200-day moving average. That, you know, that kind of small cap index, that's where been a lot of the speculation has been. Same, same way with mid cap uh, stocks as well. When you take a look at the mid cap 400 on the S&P, clear breaks of the 50-day moving average, pushing back down towards the 200-day moving average, clear pressure there as well. Another area where there's been a lot of speculation in markets. Again, just seeing a little bit of this unwinding of the speculation. And, and really, if you take a look at small caps and mid caps, they've been topping now for months. Uh, really haven't made a lot of progress. I've really been underperforming the S&P 500 at large. Um, speaking of uh, the S&P 500, take a look at the NASDAQ. It is still well above the 50-day moving average. Still a good bit more to go if we're going to correct back at least just to support the 50-day moving average. The NASDAQ had gotten very extended very overbought in the short term. Uh, still well within a sell signal as well. MACDs are triggered here. So again, there is more room for the NASDAQ to correct. And that's going to show up mostly in the sell-off in things like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. Uh, the big kind of FANG stocks have really been the driver for the markets. Now, interestingly, yesterday, um, we saw a lot in the technology space, saw a lot of the uh, kind of the newer IPO companies that came out actually performing better yesterday. Uh, a lot of the, the companies that you'll find inside of ARK Innovation Fund, et cetera, Kathy Wood, they were actually trading up yesterday, uh, a little bit of speculative bid. But again, uh, overall, what's going to drive the NASDAQ is those big major FANG stocks. So keep a watch on those. Um, also remember that the markets tend to price in things about six months in advance. So a lot of this run has been on expectations of this quarter's earnings. And so markets have gotten very ahead of themselves in terms of what to expect in terms of actual earnings growth and particularly actual revenue growth. So there's still a good bit of disappointment. We are just getting into this week and next week, uh, really kind of the big uh, announcements from all the major companies, uh, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, all report next week. So again, there is still very much a lot of risk in the markets here over the next couple of weeks of disappointment because price markets have pretty much priced in a lot of the earnings uh, that, that we're going to get. In fact, that was a topic we covered in this past weekend's newsletter. So if you go to, this, to, go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, 
click on the newsletter link, um, we actually kind of go through some of the earnings analysis for this quarter because again, earnings on a quarter over quarter basis are actually going to be lower than they were in the first quarter. But again, markets have pretty much priced in the most optimistic outlook for earnings, not only for this quarter, but also going out into 2022. So again, just as we kind of pay attention to this, there is room here for disappointment. Don't get too excited about a bounce today. Uh, and again, just keep this in perspective. I know, and as I've said here over the last few weeks, I said, hey, when we get a correction, it's gonna feel a whole lot worse than it actually is. And that's the way this feels, right? I mean, I got an email yesterday. We've been down two days in a row. When are we gonna start making money again? That is, that is exactly what you would expect in this type of environment. Very short tolerance for sell-offs, which is actually more risk for market. So just keep, kind of keep things in perspective, keep things under control. Nothing really major going on here, just a bit of a correction. We'll come back and we'll talk more about it for Technically Speaking Tuesday right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestment.com advice.com the financial independence candid coffee with ratliff and rosso real investment advice.com the real investment show a modern day warrior mean mean try today's tom sawyer mean mean buy And welcome back to the show this morning at 617 as we kind of get this uh, Tuesday morning edition underway on this uh, Technically Speaking Tuesday. And again, so just a little bit about, you know, kind of where we are. You know, I've been kind of talking about for the last couple of weeks, hey, you know, we're kind of getting set up here for a correction. We've got a sell signal in place. Uh, sometimes it can take a little bit longer to trigger. Um, and that's kind of what happened yesterday. And, and one thing I've said here kind of repeatedly was, is be careful with this because when we do get a three to 5% correction, which is all we're doing right now, by the way, um, it's going to feel a whole lot worse than it actually is. And that's really kind of what's been going on here. Um, it's interesting, you know, Jim Cramer out yesterday, you know, just kind of pulling what hair left he had out, uh, talking about, you know, this, this sell off's not going to be over. You know, until until the speculators are all out. And it's like, well, that's got a long way to go. If that's going to happen, we've got a long way to go. I got a chart this morning in our Technically Speaking report showing estimated retail flow into U.S. equities and the indicator of kind of risk-seeking behavior of investors. And, you know, both of these are at records. So if, you know, if we're, gonna, if we're about to ring out the speculators – we're going to have a much, much bigger correction on our hands than we have right now, right? So, I mean, this is just, and I, I'm not saying that's what I expect. I don't expect that at all because, again, you just, you haven't done anything right now to really break that speculative behavior of the markets. And so people are still betting that this market's going higher. 
uh, they're still allocated for it. And, you know, even yesterday, uh, markets bounced right off 50 to moving average, and we saw money coming into the markets right there at that point yesterday. So, again, you, you haven't changed the dynamic of the behavior. The speculative behavior is still there pretty much on, on every front. So, you know, this is kind of the important thing about understanding where we are right now and what's going on. And, uh, again, you know, we've talked about this potential for a corrective action um, over the last few days. And that's just what's going on here. It's just a bit of a, of, of a pullback or a correction at this point. Um, we're still very much, as I said earlier, in the middle of earnings season, really just getting into the heart of it. This week and next week is when all companies are pretty much in the S&P going to re be reporting earnings. So there's going to be some support for prices from earnings, if they're good, obviously. Um, if not, there could be some pretty brutal penalties. And because stocks are priced for perfection right now uh pretty much no matter how you look at it you know valuation wise revenue growth wise stocks you're paying a very high multiple for stocks i, I had a chart in this past weekend's newsletter talking about price to sales um you know we're at the highest level in history in terms of price to sales so you know you've got to have some pretty damn good earnings here over the next couple of years to justify price to price to sales at this level and that's gonna be a very tough ticket you know to have happen um but and again you know it, this has been kind of part and parcel of this of this whole market since march of 2020s we've had massive inflows coming into the markets um both domestically and internationally right and and money's just really kind of housing into u.s domestic stocks particularly this year uh, we've had just huge inflows this year. And that's why if you take a look, as I was showing you earlier, if you take a look at other areas of, of the world, right, emerging markets, uh, international markets, they've performed okay, but they very much lagged the advances in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Domestic stocks have done a much better job of making you money this year than international. And that's because money's flowing in. There's so much liquidity in the markets from the central bank, of the U.S. as well as the Bank of England and, and the Eurobank, Bank of Japan. All that money is trying to find a home, and it's all migrating to the place where there is earnings growth, uh, revenue growth, there is uh, economic growth, and there's relative strength in markets, and that's the U.S. So all that money has got to find a home somewhere, which is why prices have been bid up. But, you know, this is why, you know, another reason that we see the S&P performing better is because money's hiding in those highly liquid mega cap names. These institutional money managers, they are, they're kind of in a trap, just like everybody else. They've got to make money for their clients or they're going to lose business. And we're talking about billions upon billions of dollars. So they've got to chase performance. And so the easiest way and the safest way to chase performance is in Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, et cetera. That's where they're hiding because they're highly liquid. I can sell them. I can sell billions of dollars worth of Apple and really not move the stock very much. Try to do that in a small cap stock. I'm going to crush the stock and I'm going to lose a bunch of money. So they're all hiding there. Everybody's hiding in those same spaces. You take a look at ETF after ETF after mutual fund, top 10 holdings, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. I mean, everybody's hiding in the exact same position. So the problem is twofold, ultimately is that when there's a reversal and those stocks get sold off, there's going to be a massive outflow of capital very quickly. 
And that's going to impact all those ETFs that are all linked to the same stocks. And again, don't be surprised. You dig into some stock, some ETFs that are, you know, ESG, mid cap, others, and you'll find an Apple in there, right? Because they just need to have that exposure to something highly liquid they can move in and out of. So again, it's, you know, we're seeing this across the markets in general, and it's just something important to pay attention to because, again, you know, this little correction we've had here over the last couple of days you know, really isn't all that much. It, it, it seems I, I know it seems a lot worse than it actually is, but it really isn't. You know, we were talking about this relative performance of the U.S. versus international. Um, if you take a look at a dollar-indexed basket of the rest of the world versus the U.S., you can see the outperformance really since 2020. By the way, the uh, National Bureau of Economic Research came out yesterday and said the recession officially ended in April of 2020. So that means that the recession was February March of 2020. <laughs> We had a two-month recession. That's really not surprising. I'm going to talk some more about that uh, in the next segment here, um, why that is and why it doesn't preclude another recession in fairly short order. But you'll notice that that big, massive outperformance occurred right in that same spot, right when we came in with you know $5 trillion of liquidity, uh, bailing out everything that moves, you know, and and doing all these type of things to get the economy back reopened. We had this massive surge in stocks. And so not surprisingly, the U.S., which has been recovering a lot faster than the rest of the world, has really outperformed the rest of the world in, in, as, as a whole. And that outperformance is what's dragging all those money flows internationally into the U.S. Now, one thing to remember, though, is if that ever changes and we ever reverse that to where international begins to outperform the U.S., the opposite will occur and money flows will go in the other direction, which won't be as good for U.S. stocks. Um, but again, this is just, you know, as, as we kind of really talk about this and, and as we look at where the markets are, the, the whole point of this is that we are in a position at the moment, to where the markets seem to be fine. There seems to be really no risk here from, from the attitude of most, most investors. Like, oh, it's just a pullback. Buy the dip, right? The problem is that there is risk of a bigger correction, and there always is, especially after you've had a big run-up. So the important part of the conversation is to make sure that you understand the relative risk that you're taking relative to the markets. And again, you know, I got an email yesterday asking, is like, the market's been down since Friday, two days. When are we going to start making money again? Literally, that's the email. Okay, first of all, our portfolio has about a beta of half the market. So if the market's down three, you're down about one, one and a half, right? Not a tremendous drag at this point. But the, but the issue becomes is that's all about psychology, right? Two days of a sell-off is more than somebody can, can withstand. And markets don't always just go up. I know it gets to seem that way when it's just day after day after day that we're just making a gain, right? You get used to that, you know, that kind of that dopamine effect. And we've talked about that before is, you know, we've turned markets into the speculative adventure of a casino where it's that every day it's that dopamine effect of the markets. Well, as soon as you have a day where you lose money, it's like, oh my gosh, the worst day of my life. My portfolio went down yesterday. That's part of investing. 
So the point is to make sure that we keep this into context that once you have a bit of a correction, that's actually potentially an opportunity to put some money back to work. And that's why we talk about over the last several weeks, we've been taking some profits, reducing some risk, raising some cash. So now we have cash, right? We're about 47% exposure to the market. So now we've got cash that when we get an opportunity, we can add into stuff that we like, that is that we own, that's already pulled this pull back here a bit, give us a little better entry point, or we can buy something new. But we've got cash to do it. But that's the whole point of risk management and, and portfolio management is that it's not just about writing markets up and down ultimately, because ultimately at some point, you're going to be riding the markets up and down and they're going to go down a lot. And when that happens, fine, you're indexing, right? You're hanging in there with the index. Index is down 50%. You're down 50%. Okay. Now you've got to make it all back up again, right? So you've got to get 100% return to get that 50% loss back. And it just takes time. Will you do it? Yeah, absolutely. You'll get back eventually. But it's all about time. And the question is, how much time do you actually have? Is uh, you know, I know that I'm getting older every year. <laughs> I feel it every morning when I get up, right? Um, but we all have just a limited amount of time, so spending many, you know, spending several years trying to just get back to where you were isn't the same thing as making money, and that's the key difference here. So, you know, got to keep this sell-off in context. Look, the sell-off is expected. It's no big deal. It's just a correction at this point. There's no big driver out there of a massive sell-off in the market yet, right? But there's always things that could happen, right? Could the sell-off be over? I mean, was two days of really kind of a sell-off it? Maybe, right? We've seen tests of the 50-day moving average turn right around and go back up to new highs previously. Could very well be the case. We'll react accordingly, right? But with sell signals still in place, I suspect that we have a bit more of a correctional process to go through. Doesn't mean the prices have to go down, we just go sideways. But I think we've still got some more churning around here to do before we really get to a better buying opportunity. We'll keep you updated on that. Be right back after the break. We'll talk about the recession ending in April of 2020. What was it and what is it and what does that mean? Talk about that coming up next. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, uh, Yesterday, the National Bureau of Economic Research, they are the official um, kind of prognosticators of recessions, I guess. Uh, they're the ones that determine when a recession starts and ends. Now, importantly, and as you will now find out, is that the National Bureau of Economic Research pinpointing the exact starts and ends of recessions are pretty useless in reality. 
because they don't tell you a recession starts is, is going to start before it starts. And they don't tell you that it ends until well after it ends. And this is normally the case. It's about a six-month lag um, or more between those two points. So really, only from a historical standpoint does the data make any difference, right? doesn't help you in determining how to invest or what to do with your money, right? If, if you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research says, hey, well, recession started two months ago, great, you're already down 30%, so big deal. Um, so, but they did come out yesterday and state that the recession that started in February of 2020 ended in April of 2020. So, fastest recession ever on record, two months, a two-month recession. Here's my question, though. Can we really call it a recession? Now, before you go get all upset and start tweeting me, let's listen to me for a second. Recessions are normally a period of economic contraction where a the excesses that are built up in the market from the previous expansion get reversed. Okay? So if we just look at it solely from that definition, we could say, yes, it was a recession. But the recession wasn't caused by natural factors, right? It was an economic shutdown. And after about two months, we started kind of easing things back up again, right? So it was kind of a man-made recession. Now, why is that? Now, does that matter? No, it really doesn't. It's still a recession, right? We still had negative earning, uh, negative economic growth. But technically, and here's the key factor, right? According to the National Bureau of Economic Research, a recession consists of two quarters of consecutive negative economic growth. And if that's the case, then how can you have a recession only last two months? The other side is this. And I think this is the more important part. Given that we had all these economic excesses built up in the markets, right? Tremendous amount of debt and overvaluation of markets, et cetera. All that was built up. A recession normally would reverse a lot of those things, right? We would see a very large drawdown in valuations. We would see a reversal of debt, um, see some bankruptcies, defaults, et cetera. And you would reverse a lot of those excesses and that would make the economy healthier, to begin to rebuild itself. But we didn't allow that to happen. The Federal Reserve came in, trillions of dollars worth of government interventions. And immediately the economy was kind of lifted because of all this artificial stimulus and kind of put back on, on, on supports, right? And so we started getting this economic recovery because we just basically gave people money to spend. Well, the problem now is, is that stimulus is gone for the most part, right? Nobody's getting $1,400 checks anymore. So, but since we never corrected the debt, actually, we made the debt problem worse. We've issued a lot more debt. We haven't really created, you know, any more jobs, so to speak. They're all still there. 
so everything that was existing prior to the recession still is there. So potentially we haven't resolved, you know, we didn't allow that recession to do its normal process of recession, which means that if all those excesses are there or even worse, which you look at valuations or the debt, et cetera, they are worse than they actually were pre-pandemic, then we are at risk of another recession potentially sooner rather than later. And a natural recession will probably last a lot longer than just two months. So again, it's just some, something that we're thinking about. And again, I'm not making any prognostications here. I'm not saying that, hey, we're about to have another recession. But Treasury yields are at 1.17%. Yield curve is flattening sharply. And, and that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that a recession is tomorrow because you've got yields at 1.17%. But if we were having true organic economic growth and we were having wage increases that were really kind of running across the board where everybody was getting, everybody was participating in the economic recovery, yields would be a lot higher. And, you know, the thing about yields are is they are a predictor of future inflation, economic growth, et cetera. And, and the reason they're predictors, as we've said, we've, we've done articles on this before. Uh, if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, uh, just search bonds in the search bar at the top and you'll get articles up, you know, why bonds aren't overvalued. Bonds cannot be overvalued. It's the biggest myth on the markets. Why can't bonds be overvalued? Because bonds are a function of a return of principal. If I loan you money, you've got to pay me back, right? So if you've got to pay back that loan at face value, which you do, and pay me a set interest rates, how can bonds be overvalued? Now, can bonds get overvalued or undervalued on the secondary market where we're just trading bonds? That answer is also no. And the reason is, is because the rate, the interest rate, or the yield that those bonds trade at are relevant to the rate of economic growth, inflation, and expectations of the market. Maybe on a short-term basis, maybe over a course of a month or two or three, as, as things kind of work themselves out, sure, bonds can be slightly overvalued or undervalued, but bonds cannot be in a bubble because investors trade on the yield of expectation of future outcomes. Unlike a stock, which has no finite terminate value. So these are the things that, you know, we're going to have to deal with. And as we start to look forward here over the course of the next few months, I mean, we've got to think about this you know, reality that we didn't, we had a quote unquote recession with quote fingers <laughs> because it was artificial, right? We just made the decision to shut down the economy that caused the recession. It wasn't a naturally, we were going to get a recession anyway, right? We already had a inverted yield curve. There was already things going on saying, hey, there's something wrong with the economy. And we just kind of shot it in the head with this idea of just shoot, you know, shutting the economy down, right? But all of the processes that occur during a recession, that recession should have lasted three, six, nine, 12 months. 
and allowed that debt process to reverse. But since we didn't allow that to happen, we still have all that potential built up into the system, right? That's still got to correct itself at some point. When? Who knows? But the odds are that, and, and what interest rates are telling us and what the yield curve is telling us is that we are likely going to be experiencing a recession sooner rather than later. In other words, it's not going to be another decade, most likely, before we see the next recession, right? It's, it's, there, there, is a, there is an issue that we've still got to resolve. And recessions aren't bad things, by the way, right? We all have this, you know, this is the problem with the government. It's like, oh my gosh, we can't have a recession. No, we need to have recessions. Recessions are a healthy thing. We can be very productive if we stay awake, right? Um, but we've got to go to sleep and rest so that we can get up and be productive again. If you just try to, you know, bypass the sleep part, <laughs> you know, bad things tend to happen, right? You can actually die from sleep deprivation. Same thing for an economy. The economy's got to go through a contraction to reset all those excesses, let the economy heal up, and then it can grow again. But the problem is, is by continuing to deprive the economy of those sleep periods, we make the situation worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually, the recession that does come is going to be a catastrophic event that even the Fed can't bail out. And that's the risk we run. Now, that could be 50 years from now, right? It may not even be in our lifetimes. Who knows, right? But that's the point is that we're, we're creating an environment within the economic system that is untenable long-term. So just something to think about. Recessions are not a bad thing. They're actually a good thing. We just don't want to go through them because they're not any fun. And they don't get you reelected, by the way. Um, when we come back from the break, uh, a couple of other interesting headlines out this morning and a couple of things going on that tell you that we're still very, very much in kind of the bubble mania period of the market. And we haven't, you know, this little correction we've ha we're having here isn't solving that issue any, any, any period short term. Uh, be right back after the break. We'll talk about that and take uh, your questions and comments right here on the Rule of Investment Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next candid coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next candid coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
<laughs> All right, you guys are on fire on uh, YouTube this morning. We're reading a few of your uh, comments back. They have more conversations between themselves than they actually do asking questions. I know. For show. <laughs> are they really paying attention? <laughs> There'll be a test at the end of each show. <laughs> Uh, no, we appreciate all the comments as always. Um, by the way, yes, I am uh, drinking a monster this morning. This is one of the, uh, I'm not promoting the company, by the way, just uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, no, I was running late. I, I woke up late this morning. I've uh, slept right through one of my alarms. Oh, and, I hate uh, it when that happens. So I didn't have time to make, normally I just make a pot of coffee yeah. and throw up my coffee cup and bring it down here. Didn't have time this morning. So. Always keep a monster on on tap. Would you like case. a little Death Wish coffee? No, no, I'm good. I'm, right. I'm good now. I'm all jacked up. All so. right. <laughs> jacked up. <laughs> um, I'll get your questions here in just one second. I, I did want to touch on this one thing real quick about, um, you know, Jim Cramer made this comment that, you know, this correction will be over and we get all the speculators out of the market. Well, if he's right, we're talking about a massive correction to get speculators out of this market. And the reason I bring this up, you know, is if you take a look at what's going on with the markets right now, this week, there are 19 IPOs coming to market. This week. Um, you know, we're still very much in this process of bringing companies, most of these companies are money losing companies and revenue losing companies. To market, right? Because there's a demand for it. People want to buy them. Everybody's looking for the next hot ticket. Everybody wants the next Amazon, right? I want to buy it cheap and make a billion dollars. It's not the way the market really works, but hey, that's how Wall Street works. Wall Street's here to sell you product, and they're more than happy to bring it to you. And this is why, you know, JP Morgan out this morning, we're raising our price estimates for the S&P to 4,600 this year. Great. No problem. You know, if JP Morgan came out and said, hey, we're going to lower our price targets to 3000 this year because of speculation in the markets, everybody would sell their stuff, right, and go to cash. That's not very good for JP Morgan, who's bringing these companies public, right? So, you know, you've got to be careful about what you read in the media because there is a definite bias to what happens in the media because they're selling you product. And same thing on social media, by the way. <laughs> they're selling you product. That's how the world works, right? That's capitalism at work. Nothing wrong with it. Just understand what it is. Here's another really bad idea that would only exist at the peak of a bull market. The NASDAQ is planning to spin out a marketplace for shares of private companies with a group of banks. Let me just read you the, the caption here. NASDAQ is teaming up with a group of banks to spin out its marketplace for shares of private companies in a move that could help drive more deals to the NASDAQ private market. It's reported by Wall Street Journal. Let's see who the culprits of the banks are that are joining in to this uh, system with the NASDAQ. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, as well as SVB Financial Group and, and a parent of a Silicon Valley bank. Trading in such pre-IPO shares have increased in recent years as startups wait longer to go public. Okay, so here's the whole point about this. This is now going to give more people access to more startup companies, of which the majority of those will ultimately not work. And people lose money. But this is what you see. Now, see, we have all these rules for accredited investors, Right? You've got to have a million dollars in net worth or $350,000 of, of joint income with you and your wife or $250,000 yourself. 
we have all these rules for accredited investors that are set there because if you have accumulated that much money or if you have are making that much money, you should be smart enough in theory to analyze and understand the risk that you were taking by investing in very speculative investments. So basically, if you read the prospectus of a lot of these private investments, it says the risk is all on you. If you lose money, tough luck. You understood what you were getting into. That's the way private investing works. It's not a very good idea for the average mom and pop investor trying to build wealth for themselves. Now, if you're smart enough, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, right? I mean, if you're smart, I mean, I do it personally, right? Um, but I'm smart enough and I'm experienced enough to analyze the company, look at the financials, understand the cash flows, understand the business model. And I'm capable of making sure that company can operate successfully. Has it always worked out? No. I've had a couple of companies didn't work out. That's part of business. Fortunately, the ones that did work out made up for the ones that didn't. But that's part of business, right? That's part of being in business. And investing in those type of companies requires an understanding of risk. And the problem, and this is, and the point about this is, you know, I'm not making a judgment on whether the NASDAQ should or should not do this. All I'm telling you is, is that this, is, you know, isn't going to work out well for a lot of small individuals because this is the type of activity that you see at major market peaks. And this is a money grab by these banks. Here's another opportunity to sell more, offload more stuff. Look, do you think here, let me just put this to you, right? So who's involved in this deal with the NASDAQ on these private companies? Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. They're the guys that get approached with the deals first. They are always going to be the early investors into these things. And then they're going to spin them off to this, to this private marketplace for you to buy it. Who do you think you're buying the shares from? Any guess? It may work. It may not. Your guess, right? But you've got to be willing to understand the risk that you're taking. And the problem I have with it is there'll be a lot of retail investors that lose a lot of money and they'll have no recourse. But these are lessons we have to learn usually the hard way. Uh, to your questions here, um, yes, please give the channel a thumbs up. We do appreciate it very much. Um, if you're watching our YouTube channel, you can certainly click on the YouTube live stream and join the chat conversation as always every morning. And we'll try to get to your questions at the end of the show. We don't have a lot of questions today, uh, but do have a good question here about oil prices. And that is, you know, what's going on, right? Um, big correction oil prices here recently, not surprising. I'd written about this a couple of weeks ago, talking about how, um, you know, they had gotten very extended. We were three deviations, three standard deviations above the long-term moving averages. You're going to have a correction oil price. We're simply going through that correction in price. I think we're going to have a decent opportunity to add to some of our oil exposure. We had sold uh, about half of our oil exposure previously, um, expecting a correction. So now looking for that pullback here to add back into some of those positions. So again, uh, I think there'll be an opportunity here. It's a little bit early. We still got to go through a bit more of a correction uh, there as well. But, you know, I do think that you'll have an opportunity. So again, it's not, not the end of the world, but, you know, that it's been a healthy correction as opposed to the stock market 
where we have not had a really healthy correction yet to buy into. Now, you know, we've had a pullback for a couple of days here. That's not a healthy correction. Um, we've got a bit more work to do. And, and, you know, does that happen now or next month or in, you know, August, you know, when, September, who knows? Um, but we'll get a healthy correction at some point that'll be a much better buying opportunity for the markets as well. Um, so, you know, and, and, and really when, you know, as we kind of look at the markets in general, and this is kind of the key here over the last couple of days, you know, it's the issue that we're so complacent in the market running up that even a day or two of correction is like, oh my gosh, is, you know, is this the end of the world type thing? No. And this is the important thing about why we have our technical signals that we talk about in the mornings. Um, you know, we do our three minutes and like today's three minutes on markets and money. We'll put, we'll post up after the show. I'm going to go through all kind of the major markets this morning and really kind of look at those sell signals across the board. Because again, a lot of those are still firmly in place, suggesting that we still have more correctional process to go through. Now, does a correction mean a pullback in price? No, a correction does not necessarily mean that prices have to fall five, 10, 15% could, doesn't mean it has to correction can also be the market just going sideways. And we've seen those processes as well before. So what we're trying to determine here is what type of correction are we having and how much more there is it to go. Now, as I said earlier, we're right in the heart of earnings season. Now, markets tend to price in the best outlook for earnings season. So uh, this was actually this past weekend's newsletter. It's on the website. Click the newsletter link at realinvestmentadvice.com. But we actually went through earnings and what's going on and that markets are priced for perfection. I mean, these companies have got to nail it on both revenue and earnings or there's going to be a price to pay. And earnings are actually weaker in the second quarter than they were in the first quarter. May not seem that way, but actual earnings themselves, operating and reported both, are actually lower than they were in the first quarter of this year. So we're even paying more for less. And this is why when you take a look at price to sales, you take a look at market cap to GDP, you take a look at uh, take a look at just uh, trailing Cape earnings, right? That's at a record level, 37 times earnings right now. And that's using second quarter earnings. So again, it's just we've got an absolute perfection built into to the markets, which certainly leaves the ability to have disappointment. So be prepared for that. Be prepared for a bit of disappointment. You know, that's why we've been talking about raising a little bit of cash, being a little bit more um, kind of risk off at the moment and, you know, watching yields because yields are telling you there's something not right uh, going on with the markets and, and really kind of not right with the economy as, as, as well. And what yields are telling you is that the peak of economic growth and peak of economic activity is in, right? So that's going to be harder as well. If that's true, and if yields are right, which they tend to be, that's even going to make it harder for earnings to justify price as we get further into this year because earnings estimates are going to have to start coming down. All right, that wraps this show today, guys. Appreciate you always on YouTube. Be sure and get by our YouTube channel as well. Subscribe to uh, our YouTube channel. We'll notify you with all of our updates, like when our three minutes on markets and money come out. We'll keep you updated on that. Join us in the mornings. Join our live stream chat. Love to have you there. Um, if you're in the if you're in your car driving to work, listen to the radio show. We love love you there as well as always. But you have to go by the website and send us your questions and comments. Always happy to help you there. Just click the ask a question button. Got an all new website coming out uh, next week. So lots of new innovations there for you. Also, it's all at the website realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. Stick around. Three minutes of market to money. Be up here in about uh, about an hour. Don't go away.
Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world. Hey, thanks for watching the show today. Certainly appreciate it as always. If you missed yesterday's episode talking about the correction, it's called the Delta Variant episode. Be sure and click on that link and watch it as it discusses the setup for the correction we had yesterday, as well as all our other videos on our YouTube channel, The Real Investment Show.